What's up, everyone? This is the Nuts and Bolts podcast, and I'm your host, the one Jane, here with our amazing co-host, Airball. Hey, guys. And Michael Kritz is out today on a date with his Embercleave. Don't ask. And we're here to give you the nuts and bolts of the Standard and Pioneer formats each and every week. But first... Let me talk to you about the sponsor of this podcast, CoolStuffInc.com. Using code JAMES5, you can save 5% off of anything in the store, sealed products, singles, anything you could ever need in Magic the Gathering and every other card game for that matter. They have it. Go save yourself some hard-earned money and go to CoolStuffInc.com today. Let's go ahead and start with the upkeep, as always. Let's talk about the jargon. That is Beatdown today. It's a power-packed jargon. There's like four different definitions of Beatdown. It's one of the most popular terms in early tournament magic, could mean a variety of things. It's a verb, a couple nouns, an adjective, maybe an arm and a leg too. Uh, A verb is to attack with most or all of your creatures every turn without a thought of card advantage until you have put your opponent into range for your endgame hammer, such as Caravex Torch, Fire Blast, or another direct damage spell like Lightning, uh, I guess Lightning Bolt, you you could say, if you're playing Modern. Uh, If you're playing another uh, Pioneer, you could, maybe it's a Stomp from a Bone Crusher Gime, or maybe if you're playing Standard, it's a Lightning Strike. But either way, it's often split in the verb form. For example, I beat you down for five. Uh, As a noun, it's used as a description of a card or event, such as Fire Blast was such a beatdown. He was mana screwed and I wrecked him, so the game was a beatdown. Usually I don't use beatdown in the form of that. Usually I say beating. Wouldn't you say, Airball? Yeah. I mean, I think beatdown is most commonly heard in the context of the you know, all-time great article, Who's the Beatdown? It's, it's more of a role than it is anything else. It's the person who needs to finish the game because if the game goes on long, then the other player will slowly gain advantage. So mono red against blue-white control, mono red is the beatdown because if the game doesn't end by turn six or seven, blue-white control will take over the game. Right. That is the next one, actually, is the player with less inevitability than their opponent and who therefore must attack as much as possible. Failure to recognize, quote unquote, who's the beatdown is a common fatal mistake for new players. And that's exactly what you said. Uh, As an adjective, it ties in with the beatdown principles um, that we already said, a beatdown deck or a beatdown creature, a creature that's designed to be the beatdown or a deck's strategy that is designed to be the beatdown. All right. Now that we have that out of the way, we're going to talk about some cards that uh, in this episode that are the beatdown. This is the part two of the Brothers War set review, and we're going over the colorless cards, or the, the colorless cards, yes, and artifacts, and also multicolored cards and the rare and mythic lands. We're going to be going over a few honorable mention commons and uncommons as we didn't go over them in the first one, and let's start out with the honorable mentions today before we get into the other mythic and rare good stuff. Let's start out with a white card called Lay Down Arms. It's a one white mana sorcery, exile target creature with mana value less than or equal to the number of planes you control. Its controller gains three life. So this is basically swords to, as close to swords to plowshares you can probably get. It's not an instant, but it's one mana and your opponent doesn't gain life equal to its power. They always gain three life. And it's equal to the number of planes you control, so it has a restriction that's not, and, and Swords of Prowl Shares does not have an inscription. Uh, it does not have a, um, whatever what I was going to say. <laughs> it doesn't have a, uh, a restriction, a restriction yeah. not prescription. I don't know what I was saying. Anyway. It might. It, it might have a prescription, actually. You're, I mean, the, your opponent's creature will have one after the, you exile it with this card. But this is a very, very powerful card. It doesn't destroy. It exiles, as a lot of white cards do. And I don't know, I, I guess you're going to be playing a lot of this card in your blue-white control decks? 
Yeah, absolutely. I, I, one thing that's important about this card is that it doesn't say basic planes. It just says planes. Um, so in older formats, your Hollow Fountains count, uh, your Temple Gardens count, whatever you have. Uh, in Standard, uh, there's not really any great duels that have the land types. Uh, so you're really, your devotion to white has to be super high for this card to work in Standard. But I think there's a pretty good mono-white aggro deck that'll exist. And maybe even a mono-white control deck that, that will exist that uses this card pretty well. Um, also, it, it, there's still a couple of them, right? There's Rafine's Tower and Jetmere's Garden. Um, I think those are the only ones that have, the only three-colored ones that have white in it, right? Maybe I'm missing one in Standard? I think that's right. Yeah. So, I think that's right. Yeah. So um, I, know for, I know that if you are going to be playing a deck that has white mana and you're planning on playing Laydown Arms, it might be a good idea to splash in some Jetmere's Gardens and Ravine's Towers in your deck because they do count as planes for this card. It's not an instant, but it is a very powerful card. Moving on to the next one is Go for the Throat. This is an uncommon one in a black. It's a reprint. It's an instant. It says destroy target non-artifact creature. This doesn't destroy a lot. It destroys a lot of things. It destroys Shieldred. It destroys anything that Infernal Grass can hit, but just doesn't kill artifact creatures. But you do, you don't lose the two life like you do with Infernal Grasp in standard right now. So I think it is better than Infernal Grasp because of how much better it is against aggro decks. But it is, but when you do have to use a removal spell on an artifact creature and you have go for the throat in your hand, you're like, well, wait, hold on. I forgot that was an artifact, right? Yeah, it's like cast down syndrome when you forgot that the card you're targeting is a legendary or something like that. It, it, it will be a feels bad when that happens. But to be to be fair, there's not a whole lot of important artifact creatures floating around right now. Maybe that changes after the set comes out. But uh, for now, this is just, I think, the best Doomblade effect that's available all the way back to Pioneer. Yes, it is. It will be in Rakdos Midrange in Pioneer, and I think it will be replacing Heartless Act or replacing Eliminate if you do want to play this card over those. I think it's better. Uh, also, maybe in place of like one copy of Dreadbore. I know Dreadbore does kill anything, and it also kills Planeswalkers, but Dreadbore also is sorcery speed, so it depends on how much you value the instant speed, but Go for the Throat is definitely a card you have to have on your radar and might and maybe in standard it means you might want to play more artifact creatures in your decks to play around a card like go for the throat and i've even seen throughout the amount of standard in the new set that i've played which hasn't been that much but i have seen infernal grasp still in decks because there's a lot of artifacts in standard so you'll have to think about that let's move on to the next one and it is monastery swiss beer now uh, that is a is it a common or uncommon in this set I don't even know. It's, 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 you can use your wild cards on it. Let's just tell you that. It's an uncommon. It is yep. a one red for a one two human monk with haste and prowess. That's all it says, but that's all you really need <laughs> with a card like this to kill your opponent. I've seen turn one monastery Swiss beer attack you for one, turn two, play another Swiss beer, and then play a Kumano faces Kakazan, grow both to a two three, attack you for four, hit you for one with the Kumano. And then it just goes downhill from there. I've definitely lost on turn four in standard right now. Yeah, so that's it's just gonna kill you. <laughs> uh, anyways, yeah, yeah. yeah it, sure. it doesn't, uh, it, doesn't it doesn't even really need any any, any uh, like analysis, right? Like it's just Swiss beer. Yeah, it's it's a it's a reprint. Uh, this card is one of the most powerful cards uh, in Pi in the Pioneer Mono Red deck. Uh, Prowess is a super powerful effect, uh, and in standard there just really weren't many great red one drops you had like some decks trying to use phoenix chick but that card is real bad uh monastery swift spear is a good way to put pressure on the board and keep pressure on the board with non-creature spells that are good against control decks in mid-range uh without having to overcommit to the board into opponents removal or board wipes 
the, the card is, is a welcome addition to the format. I don't know that it's going to be enough to make aggro good, but I'm happy to see it. Yeah, one, one thing that we were talking about, go for the throw. One thing to go for the throw can't hit is Rabbit Battery, and they were playing that before they were playing Swiss Beer. So now that Swiss Beer is a card, Rabbit Battery is not as much of a card. Go for the throw, go for the throw gets a little bit better. But yes, remar uh, you know, markedly better than Phoenix Chick. Unless you can put a whole bunch of 1-1 one -one counters on Phoenix Chick, then it becomes a problem. But anyways, let's move on to the Mythics and Rares. Mythics starting out with the Multicolored Creatures. We have Seventh Great Worm. It's a 6-mana 7-6 seven, for 4, a red and a green. It is a worm. It has Trample, so 6-mana 7-6 six six Trample. Whenever a land enters the battlefield, create a tapped Power Stone token, and that's all the card does. <laughs> so I, I've seen people talk about this card in, like, Commander, but even then, like, do you want to really want to ramp into your 6-drop and then start playing more lands and making Power Stones? I don't think so. It's like, when are you ever playing this card? Yeah, I mean, you know, Wizards has shown that they kind of like these mana doubling effects over the last several sets. Uh, you had Fires of Invention, and you had Wilderness Reclamation. Now, this card, those things are not. Um, but it's, you know, when a land enters the battlefield, you get another mana source. So it's like you get to play two land drops every turn. But there, there are several problems with the card, right? The first is that it just costs six. Uh, so it, it's an expensive thing to play and doesn't generate a whole lot of value immediately. It generates value over time. And by the time you're playing a, a six mana seven six, the game really should be ending pretty quick. Uh, it's kind of a win more effect, and I don't really like it. It doesn't even double your mana. It doubles your mana for artifacts and abilities exactly. of stuff. So what are you going to do? Unearth with it? What, like, what what do you have that that you want to unearth for, like, 12? Right? Yeah, exactly. It, it's it's pretty mopey. Um, it, it's kind of, I think, a way in limited to make the more expensive artifacts, you know, a, a, achievable to play, but you know, it's a mythic. It won't even really show up too much in right. it either. I, I don't think this card is great. But, Maybe but, in commander, it's it's fine. But but it's it's a mythic. So like, what do they not want to make this rare because it's a six mana seven six tramples just too good and limited? I mean, maybe. I think that's exactly right. Yeah, I, I think this card in limited would be nuts at rare. I, I think um, in that mythic, it's fine. Maybe maybe at a at a rare it would be like a seven four or something to be like a little bit easier blockable or easy to remove with a red removal spell or something. But yeah. Anyways, I don't, I don't want to spend too much more time on this card. <laughs> yeah. All right, let's move on to the next one. And I've played with this before, and it's been pretty sweet. Sahili Filigree Master, two blue and a red for a four mana three loyalty legendary planeswalker Sahili. Plus one, scry one. You may tap an untapped artifact you control if you do draw a card. I, I like this one. Uh, minus two, create two one one colorless Thopter artifact creature tokens with flying. They gain haste until end of turn. Minus four, so you can do this the turn after it comes down. You get an emblem with artifact creatures you control get plus one plus one and artifact spells you cast cost one less to cast. So I like this one because you can use cards in standard like experimental synthesizer, not not something like you you would use this to sacrifice it with a different card like the synthesizer. But with the Sahili, you can just tap the synthesizer every turn and draw a card. You can make the two one one colors Thopter artifact tokens with haste, and then you can even tap those to draw a card. Uh, you can even tap your power tokens to draw a card. You can. Uh, just scry one, but a lot of the time if you're playing Sahili, it makes the artifacts herself to then to then draw a card with it. So the plus one is usually always a draw, at it. and drawing a card every turn with a four mana Planeswalker is pretty freaking good. We haven't had a four mana Planeswalker that draws a card every turn with hardly any downside since Soren the Mirthless, and that's seen play in Pioneer a lot in Rakdos Midrange, so this kind of effect is pretty good. And the emblem is pretty good. That makes you make two one one colors stop their artifact creatures as the minus two that are two twos. And if you're playing a deck with quite a bit of artifact creatures, it could be quite a bit of a buff. But what do you think of Sahili? 
Yeah, I think <laughs> that you're right that a Planeswalker that draws a card at four mana is usually pretty good. I don't know that it has a great home in the main deck of most standard decks right now. Um, three toughness on the Planeswalker, or three loyalty on the Planeswalker, uh, runs afoul of a lot of the red-based removal that exists. And one turn of Sahili in play uh, is probably not all that great. Uh, where I think Sahili would shine is in the sideboard against Control. So you have like a more aggressive red-blue artifacty kind of uh, Bernie or, or a, a tempo-y build. And then when the uh, Control deck brings in its, uh, its creature-based removal, then you can hit him with the Planeswalker. It's kind of like the what, what the sideboard plan is for mono-red or Rakdos. You bring in Chandra 4 uh, in Pioneer, or at least you used to, uh, to make it uh, to play around the Control deck's removal. And even Mono Red does that in Pioneer, right? They either main deck or bring in some more uh, three mana Chandra when your opponent has removal for their creatures. I did want exactly. to, it... I did want to mention another uncommon because we are mentioning Sahili, and this uncommon goes very, very well with Sahili that I was playing with and fiddling around with today. Third Path Iconoclast. It is a 1 blue, 1 red, 2 1 human monk. Whenever you cast a non-creature spell, create a 1 1 colorless soldier artifact creature token. So this is Young Pyromancer, but a blue-red creature. And it's the exact same card, basically, as Young Pyromancer. But it, the 1 1 um, colorless soldiers that they make are artifacts and not elementals, like Young Pyromancer. So it does turn on your turn on your removal spell, the, the 1 red deal 4 damage if you sacrifice an artifact. It turns that card on. It, it they those one one colorless soldier artifact creature tokens that you make off third path iconoclast are two twos if you have the emblem with Sahili. Sahili makes more artifact creatures. Uh, third path iconoclast is probably going to be a card that we're going to see played in standard for sure, and maybe even pioneer. Like if if you played like you, there's already a pioneer deck that is kind of like is it Phoenix, but it's like is it Pyromancer, so it plays four copies of Young Pyromancer. I could see playing four Pyromancer and four Third Path Iconoclast and really taking advantage of casting your non-creature spells and making a whole bunch of 1-1 tokens. Them being artifacts are very strong, and it works with Sahili also. So because Third Path Iconoclast exists, I think that opens the door for Sahili to see even more play if it did see play. All right, moving on to Urza, Lord Protector. It's a three-mana, two-four, legendary creature, human artificer. Artifact, instant, and sorcery spells you cast cost one less to cast, which is a very strong ability. You've seen an uh, ability like that with the Hottie Djinn, and that card's really good in standard. You can pay seven mana if you both own and control Urza, Lord Protector, and an artifact named the Mightstone and Weakstone, which we'll go over later. Exile them, then meld them into Urza Planeswalker. Activate only as a sorcery. Now, when you have both of those on the battlefield, pay seven mana, meld them into Urza Planeswalker. What does Urza Planeswalker do? It's probably the best Planeswalker that ever existed, ever, besides, like, Ugin the Spirit Dragon and maybe, like, Oko and Renin Six. I mean, I mean, I, I, I'm telling you this. If you're not wa if you're not actually physically watching this, like, on a YouTube channel to look at this right now, I'm going to tell you what this does. The uh, the static text is you may activate the loyalty abilities of Urza Planeswalker twice each turn rather than only once. And that's what really puts this into perspective here and what this actually does. There's four, five different abilities of this card. <laughs> the plus two is artifact, instant, and sorcery spells. You cast this turn cost two less to cast. You gain two life. And you can use that twice in a turn. So your artifacts can be four less to cast. Artifact, instant, and sorceries. Uh, and you can gain four life. The plus one is draw two cards, then discard a card. 
can you like you can imagine just drawing four this card too it's pretty strong zero is create two one one colorless soldier artifact creature tokens minus three is exile target non-land permanent and it has seven loyalty to start with so you can do this twice and still keep your urza around and the minus 10 you can't do this the turn it comes out but the next turn you can artifacts and planeswalkers you control gain indestructible until end of turn destroy all non-land permanents so yeah i mean yes it might be like the fifth best planeswalker ever after it flips but the point is getting it to flip right and you need urza on the battlefield and the Might Stone and Weakstone to meld them. I have seen some streamers, and I'm going to try to do this myself to try to meld them and put it together and um, try to get this Urza Planeswalker out. But what do you, how do you feel about this Planeswalker? Yeah, I mean, obviously, if you flip the Planeswalker, um, it's a game-swinging action. It, it probably ends the game almost on the spot. It coming into play with seven loyalty makes it obscenely difficult to uh, attack him down with creatures, and you get to plus him for two twice if you like to get him all the way up to 11. Um, you can exile any arbitrary non-land permanent twice, as you said, um, so you can uh, catch up from a, a board state where you're way behind. Uh, if there's not much going on, you can draw a bunch of cards, you can make a bunch of soldiers, um, and the ultimate, of course, is um, just insane if you, uh, if you can build a board around him too. So the question is, how easy is it going to be to flip Urza reliably? And I think that's going to be very difficult to do. Uh, getting a three-drop creature to live for any amount of time in standard is already hard to do. Um, getting uh, the artifact to live alongside it is also very hard to do. And having to pay the seven mana and then hope that the opponent doesn't have a removal spell that they baited you, that they waited for, to cast in order to bait you into spending your mana to flip into Urza, uh, I think this is kind of high in the sky. I, I don't think this is going to be very good in standard, but I know people like you are going to try it. <laughs> what do you mean, people like me? You people. <laughs> you, you know people. you people. If anyone would try it, it's you. You're the blue-white control player. No, no. no <laughs> I, I, I know my limits. This is... Uh, I, I don't think this is going to be good enough. Uh, this doesn't quite make the, make the cut for you? I thought this would make no, the this cut. Kind of gives me, uh, this kind of gives me uh, Nickel Bowls to Ravager vibes, except... Uh, hey, I flipped honestly, the Nickel Bowls to Ravager. Harder. <laughs> yeah, uh, I flipped someone else's Nickel Bowls the Ravager once. Uh, I did, that, did, that did not go as well as I hoped. Well, you see, there's a reason why we're talking about this flipping Nickel Bowls the Ravager as like a, a thing that you did once. It's because you only get to do it once for however long you play the card. No, I, I stole someone's Nickel Bowls the Ravager with like an agent of treachery or or, or mass manipulation or something like that, and then I activated him. And it turns out if you do that, he comes back as the Planeswalker, but under his owner's control because it exiled so. it exiled itself <laughs> so not great <laughs> oh my gosh that is not good at all your opponent was like thank you so much yeah and scoop <laughs> and scoop that's a shame scoop right there if you've ever seen one okay let's go over to the next one it's mishra claimed by gix it is a two black red for a three five phyrexian human artificer Whenever you attack, each opponent loses X life and you gain X life, where X is the number of attacking creatures. If Mishra claimed by Gix and a creature named Phyrexian Dragon Engine, which we'll talk about later, are attacking, and you both own and control them, exile them, then meld them into Mishra lost to Phyrexia, it enters the battlefield tapped and attacking. Now, the 4-mana, I mean, this 4-mana 3-5, if you play this alongside Shieldred in your 4-mana slot, 
and you have a bunch of other creatures like Tenacious Underdog and maybe Graveyard Trespasser and, you know, maybe like a Phyrexian Dragon Engine and, and you know, just a couple a couple creatures lying around and you attack and you play this and attack with your creatures, you're draining for like two or three, which is pretty strong. And it's a three five. And we all know from Shieldred, five toughness is pretty hard to deal with. So I, I have kind of high hopes for Mishra as just the format of creature by itself. But let's look at the backside. When you meld Mishra into Mishra Lost to Phyrexia, it is a legendary artifact creature, Phyrexian, Phyrexian Artificer, so can't get Go for the Throated, interestingly enough. It says, whenever Mishra Lost to Phyrexia enters the battlefield or attacks, enters the battlefield or attacks, choose one, target opponent discards two cards. No, I didn't say, did I say choose one? I meant choose three. Target opponent, three. Yeah, target opponent discards two cards. Mishra deals three damage to any target. Destroy target artifact or planeswalker. Creatures you control gain menace and trample until end of turn, so all creatures. Creatures you don't control get minus one, minus one till end of turn, and create two tapped power stone tokens. And it's a 9 9 by itself. So you attack with Mishra and Dragon Engine. Your R Mishra claimed by gets triggers, draining them for two. Turns into Mishra, you get to kill their blocker or all of their blockers if they're one ones. Deal three damage to their face or to the blocker that's going to block you. Give all of your creatures medicine trample. I mean, what, how do you not win after you do that? Like, how good do you think this is? And also, how, do you, how easy do you think it is to meld this? I think it's still very hard to meld, but I, I think I have a lot higher hopes for Mishra than I do for Urza, just because I think the individual piece of Mishra claimed by Gix is already a reasonable card to play. It's not great, right? Four mana for a 3-5, but at least it doesn't need to live for a turn in order for you to get its ability. If you have a board already and you attack with Mishra in play, you're already getting some payoff for having it in play. Um, and you can... Uh, and if you ever flip it, then obviously that's just gravy and you win. I think that Mishra has at least a reasonable place in a Rakdos aggro deck, whereas Urza lives in, you know, the memes and dreams of, of <laughs> brewers. <laughs> you're, you're just you're just not going to give it up. Give no, I, I mean, like, look, I, I just want to make sure that people understand, like, that Urza Planeswalker thing is like the flashy face of the set, but you're probably never going to see it. Mishra at least has a chance. Like, be, be honest with yourself when you're building your decks. I mean, I have to be honest with you. I flipped Mishra into Mishra Lost Phyrexia like eight times already. Like it just yeah, always happens. I think, this is, I think that is possible to do um, in the right deck where you're putting pressure on your opponent and they have to tap out uh, as opposed to something like Urza where they don't. I think it's night and day difference. Yeah, you'll see when we go over the Phyrexian Dragon Engine and how easy it is to flip the Mishra. All right, let's go over to Legions to Ashes. One white and a black sorcery exile target non-land permanent and opponent controls and all tokens that player controls with the same name as that permanent so your opponent has a lot of wedding announcement creatures and maybe they have two wedding announcements out you legion to ashes uh the the tokens and all the tokens die similar to a card it's like an anguish unmaking card right that it just exiles a non-land permanent even though this is a sorcery and maybe it's like there, there's a card, a three mana card that's like a creature. It's a one four, and it exiles all the cards, all the cards with the same name your opponent controls. It's a creature. Uh, the the it's a blue white creature. I forgot the name of it off the top of my head, yeah, but it's kind of similar to that. Deputy of detention. Yeah, it's like a deputy of detention, like Legion's End type card, but it's Legion's to Ashes. So it kind of gives me Legion's End vibes. What do you think of Legion's to Ashes? So you're right. It, it definitely reminds me of Legion's End, Declaration in Stone, that kind of effect. Uh, but it is 
three mana instead of two. And I'm not a huge fan of the all tokens yeah. restriction. It, it feels like they could have just made it all permanents with the same name, make it a Maelstrom Pulse for black-white. Um, but maybe that would have just been That would have been good. way too good. As it is, this feels like uh, Vindicate or something. Um, I, I don't know how many times you're going to have tokens that have the same name as a non-token permanent um, in most formats. Like You need some copying shenanigans to happen, and I'm not sure how much of that there's going to be, because traditionally that's not a, a, a great effect. There's like the Esper thing, the instant speed card that can't be countered that destroys an online permanent. This is a sorcery. Void Rend. Yeah, there's Void Rend. I'm terrible with names. You already know this, but I'm just going to describe the card and then you tell me what the card, <laughs> the name of the I card. I can do that. Yeah, I'm here you for you. Tell me. You're the deputy detention already. Void Rend. So this is like sorcery speed Void Rend that just exiles all other tokens. So it's like, is some upside to it, but Void Rend's like so much better than this. Yeah, and I already am not a fan of Void Rend. Yeah, and so. Void Rend's still like a kind of subpar card in standard. I mean, any format for that matter. I guess outside of limited. All right, moving on to Deathbloom Ritualist. It's a five mana, three, five elf warlock. Tap it to add X mana of any one color where X is the number of creature cards in your graveyard. Okay, th th this is just like the Great Worm. This upsets me. Like, it's upsets a five... Wow, you're offended by it's this a, I'm offended. It's a five mana card that adds mana. What are you five mana? Five mana? That should win you the game. This is a rare. It, this is no yeah, Nissa I mean... who shakes the world. Like, yeah, it's a five mana card that ramps you. Nissa who shakes the world, but Nissa who shakes the world ramps you into like double your mana, not like a couple mana. Yeah, that's spoken like a true pioneer player. I, I do feel like five mana is a lot in standard. I don't feel like five mana necessarily needs to win you the game. But by the time you have five mana in standard, um, other ramp effects are probably not needed so much. Um, and it also takes investment, right? Like if you don't have, if your opponent's not killing your creatures uh, or you don't have many creatures and it's not ramping you very much. So it has a very specific, um, has a very specific role and very specific deck building restrictions. And I'm not sure you're going to be able to find a fit for it. It's, it's basically like you're playing Golgari Elves. It's like, it's like for Commander, I guess. You're playing Golgari Elves, but you want to ramp into, like, a big finale of Devastation or something? And, like, yeah, like... Yeah, you... Commander makes sense. Yeah. Commander where, makes where sense. Where, like, five mana... Where five mana is not enough to win the game on the spot. Um, and, and you might actually untap and have uses for the rest of the mana that you, that you generate. Um, yeah, I, I think that's got to be the only place for it. Yeah, and uh, even then, in, in Historic, you can play, you know, Craterhoof Behemoth with the mana off of this uh, Deathbloom Ritualist. But... There's so many ways to make mana in elves and historic, and 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 there's a lot of the same cards in modern than there is in historic. So like if you if you listen if you watch or play modern, you can you can you know how much mana elves can make, and you don't need Deathbloom Ritualist to make that mana for you. So anyways, I, I just think it's not that good of a card. I I'm, I don't I'm not really a big believer of ramping, of ramping into a card that ramps you. Uh, anyway, let's move on to Cassia Digsite Mentor. It's a Bant. One and Bant, so one green, white, blue. For a 4-3 legendary creature, human artificer, creatures you control have vigilance, and tap Surveil 1. To Surveil 1, look at the top card of your library. You may put that card into your graveyard. And you can pay two and double green, double white, double blue. That's what, eight mana total? To exile Takasia's Dig Site Mentor from your graveyard. Return any number of target artifact cards with total mana value 10 or less from your graveyard to the battlefield. Activate only as a sorcery. I mean, for, ten, for, for 8 mana, 
th this should not have a total mana value restriction and also a sorcery speed restriction. You should just be able to do this, I think. I don't know, <laughs> whenever. Yeah. But it does it's, say this that... This is a sick limited card. Yeah, but... yeah, yeah. Sick limited card, but a 4-mana four 4-3, four, like, you play this card and your and your opponent's Tenacious Underdog blocks this. Like, when, you're tenacious under, when, they're, when their Tenacious Underdog attacks, you cannot block it with your 4-drop. It, do, it does give you Creature's Vigilance and also Surveil one, which is kind of a, a cool thing to do, and maybe there's some cool thing you can do with creatures that shouldn't have Vigilance and Surveil that you can give the ability to have Vigilance and Surveil, but I, I feel like the ability on this is just Magical Dream World Christmas Land. Yep, it's for board stalls and limited. Um, you might get a little bit of value if you have other graveyard synergies, although in Bath, those are going to be somewhat limited. Yeah, this is just not a constructed card. Yeah. Uh, let's see. You know what is a constructed card, though? The next one. Hajar Loyal Bodyguard. It is a red and a green for a 3-3? Three, three? Are you serious? Two mana, three, three. With upside, you can sacrifice the Jar Loyal Bodyguard. Legendary creatures you control get plus one, plus oh, and gain indestructible till end of turn. It's a human. You can play it in the Jota five-color humans deck. It's a two-drop, which the deck already needed. And it's a three, three? Hold on, excuse me? And it, it yeah, makes all legendary soldier. creatures you control get indestructible? So, I mean, how do you evaluate this card? I mean, I'm, I'm just kind of flabbergasted they would actually even print this. Like, I feel like it's too good, but I have not seen it being played yet in Standard because I guess it's only playable in a Bard-class Legendaries deck, maybe in Pioneer. This will be broken in Bard-class, actually, now that I think about it, but also a Joda Standard deck, Legendary Tribal deck. What do you think? I've been hurt too many times by Bard-class. Um, every every time a new set comes out, I I try to make Bard class work, and it just never ever does. It it like goes off on turn two some amount of the time, and you feel like there's got to be some potential there, and then the other ninety percent of the time you get hosed. Um, I still think Werewolf Pack Leader is better as far as two two for three as far as three three for two, three threes for two go, um, because you don't need the commitment to the extra color. Uh, I think the Pack Leader's ability is more relevant. Um, but this is a very good aggressive card, and if there is a gruel deck, a gruel aggro deck in the format, then it definitely wants it. Yeah, and to, and even in a gruel aggro deck, you can find ways to put legendaries in there with Halana and Elena being a very powerful card still in standard, and also just in that five color deck I was already talking about needed a good two drop anyway, and this gives your things indestructible. Not to mention, if you have a Ratadrabic on the board, the white black. Uh, legendary for four mana that says every time one of your legendaries goes to the great uh, dies, you just bring it back as a two two. You have that on board. You have Hajar on board. You sacrifice Hajar to give everything indestructible when they go to kill your Ratadrabic, and then this comes back as a two two again to save your board again. I, <laughs> it's just it's just funny yeah. to me how good this card is. Uh, anyways, moving on to Harbin Vanguard Aviator. I did play against this card in the Soldiers deck. Let's talk about it. It's a one. White, one, blue, three, two, human soldier, legendary, with flying. So two mana, three, two with flying. Pretty darn good as it is. But also it wins the game. Let me tell you how it does it. Whenever you attack with five or more soldiers, creatures you control, get plus one, plus one, and gain flying until end of turn. So this is a alpha strike to heaven <laughs> and killing your opponent to negative 50. Um, how do you evaluate Harbin as a... It's a two mana, three, two flyer as it is with upside. 
Yeah, that's pretty good. It's it's great. A uh, good a uh, good solid aggressive blue white flyers card. It's a soldier, so you get payoffs there. The ability is kind of meh to me because attacking with five creatures should probably already be mostly winning you the game if that's a thing that you're able to do. So not a huge. I, I I'm almost ignoring the ability altogether. But as a three two for two um, flyer, I I'm already pretty thrilled with the card. Yeah, like, if, if the floor of the card is it's a 2-mana 3-2 flying human soldier, which has all of the keywords that you can even imagine staple onto it, right? And it just so happens that if you have five creatures or soldiers with this on board, your opponent has to scoop. <laughs> like, that's a pretty good upside to me, that, that they're just going to die. Because um, a lot of a lot of the ways that blue-white decks like this, a blue-white aggro, even, like, mono-white aggro, they can't really kill you if they don't have a bunch of flyers you can live at one life pretty easily against these white decks because they don't have a lot of reach like red does that can just lightning strike you off the top but these white yeah, decks these white aggro decks cannot do that it makes a lot all of your board flying so it can kill you out of nowhere all right moving on to probably the most popular commander in the set Thanos the toy maker you're shaking your head no airball <laughs> yeah um, it, because we just know it's a commander like this is not going to be played anywhere else it's a three and a green blue human artifice or legendary it's a three five whenever you cast a beast or bird creature spell you may copy it exile the copy or accept the copy is an artifact in addition, addition to its other types so you cast your birds of paradise it becomes a copied artifact version of birds of paradise um <laughs> I mean, do I have to ask you about this card? Like, are you going to be building this as as a commander deck? Uh, no, but I, I wonder actually, is there a good mutate creature that's a beast or a bird? I was watching, um, we were just at uh, Magic Summit and I was watching Veggie play, or Veggie Wagon, a fellow DGN of ours, play a mutate Ivy deck. So Ivy was in play and all the creatures that had, uh, that mutated onto another one could also be mutated onto oh, Ivy. Oh yeah, because of targets. I wonder... Yeah, so I wonder if there's a good uh, home for Tano's Ivy and Mutate. Uh, that would be kind of fun. Although, I mean, standard, it, it's garbage. Don't even, don't even think about it. <laughs> yeah, I don't think about it. Um, <laughs> but cool commander, though. All right, moving on to another another card of Urza. Urza, Prince of Krug. It's a two, white, blue, four mana, two, three. So cast your four mana card, get cut down. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> yep. Uh, legendary creature, human artificer. It says artifact creatures you control get plus two, plus two. You can pay six mana to create a token that's a copy of target artifact you control, except it's a one-one soldier creature, in addition to its other types. And it would be a three-three, of course, because it gives a plus two, plus two. I mean, what? I mean, okay. I'll tell you my first evaluation of this card. I've played against this only once and got absolutely destroyed. Yes, I didn't have the cutdown. And I was playing Cutdown. Didn't draw it. But this card, there's a lot of good artifact creatures. There's a one mana, one, two artifact creature that just came out, has protections from multicolored, and it also gain you also gain a life every time your opponent plays a non-basic land. And it's already a one, two for one as an artifact creature. There's still the the uh, automaton that has ward two that every time an artifact enters the battlefield under your control, it gets plus one plus one counter. That card's still in standard, so there's a lot of really good artifact creatures. The young Pyromancer card that we talked about already, the Iconoclast makes 1-1 one, one artifacts. The um, the Sahili makes artifacts, so there's a lot of artifact creatures that you can get very quickly and go super wide. Slam your Urza, Prince of Krug, down and attack your opponent for a lot. How do you evaluate this card? 
Yeah, this card is uh, kind of like a show-me card. Obviously, the effect is pretty powerful if you can build a board around it. Um, and artifact creatures are kind of notoriously difficult to evaluate because they might also have other effects beyond just the body. So if you have a good artifact deck that just happens to be good at putting pressure on the board and Urza is a top end that gets through a ton of damage unexpectedly, then this card could be very good. Um, but at the same time, it's four mana. It's only a two, three. It's not great by itself. And its ability um, in terms of ever activating it, forget about it. It's, it's six mana. It might as well be a million. So but I need power to see tokens. a deck where... But Power Stone but tokens, Airball. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh -huh. if, if this is the best thing you can do with your Power Stone token, you know what? You can copy a Power Stone token. That's even better. That's even better than I thought. It's utter, utterly broken. Yeah, no, I forget it. This card's awesome. You could, if you could have 1-1 no, one, uh, one Soldier the, Creature Power Stones. Yeah, if you can find a good shell for this card, I think is the bottom line. Uh, the card will be will be very good. But if you don't have a lot of support for it, then the card's just going to be kind of ass. Well, yeah, for sure. But th this is more of a synergy card than it is a good card by itself. And uh, usually a lot of artifact decks are synergistic decks. So I'll leave you as an audience to figure this card out. Let us know at, uh, at Nuts and Bolts Pod on Twitter. Anyway, Mishra, Tamer of Macfala. New card, 5 mana, 4-4, four, four, Human Artificer, Legendary. Permanence you control, have Ward, Sacrifice a Permanent. Yeah, to target this card and have it resolve, you have to sack a permanent, uh, which includes lands. It, says, it also says each artifact card in your graveyard has unearth for one, a black, and a red. So you return it to the battlefield for one black and a red as an ability, and then uh, it gains haste and it sacrifices itself at the end of the turn. Or it exiles itself at the end of the turn, activate only as a sorcery. So, I mean, you can use this to unearth your big nine mana artifact from the graveyard if you want to as three mana, which gives you that ability. But like that's probably not going to happen as often as you'd think unless you build a deck around it. And But having permanents you control, have ward sacrifice a permanent, is a big deal. Uh, so it decentivizes your opponent from targeting anything you have, which is really good, especially if you're playing against a very interactive deck like a mono black or a black red mid-range deck in a pioneer or standard i mean how do you evaluate mishra tamer of macfala yeah um it's there's two things about the card that you need to evaluate right like there's a how good is the unearth ability and that will revolve around how easy it is to get busted artifacts into the graveyard and recur them um and how game swinging that can be when you know that artifact is going away end of turn. Um, so I'm not sure about that. There are a lot of big artifacts in the set. Um, I guess we'll have a better idea when we read the rest of those later in the set review. I will say that uh, Ward Sacrifice of Permanent um, is not as good as it sounded to me at first, just because game objects in particular are already plentiful, and they are just getting more so with all these cards that create power stone shards. So right now you have now you can have blood tokens that you can sacrifice. You can sacrifice lands if you're flooded. You can let Mishra just stay in play as a five mana four four as well. I remember like Edgar, people thought Edgar was busted in standard for a while, but like he is just a four four and you can just let him hit you a few times and it will not be the end of the world. Uh, this card I don't think is going to put enough pressure on the opponent unless its unearth ability is relevant, and I don't think it will be. There is one card I can think about with this card that the unearth will be relevant, but you it's it's a it's we'll go over the artifact that I'm thinking about a little bit later on. But it's a five mana card. So the earliest you can play this is like play Fable the Mirror Breaker. 
on turn three. Turn four, discard the artifact with Fable Mirror Breaker's ability, attack with the 2-2 to make a treasure token, play Mishra, and then next turn unearth it. But your opponent has to just not kill Mishra for you to do that, <clears throat> to be able to do that, or they have to not kill the 2-2 Goblin Shaman token from Fable the Mirror Breaker. And, and uh, honestly, I think every time... I've personally played with this card already, and every time they've the opponent has been super okay with just killing this and sacrificing a land. Yeah. Yep, that's that's pretty much exactly where I am. Um, sacrificing a permanent is is not the end of the world. It seems like it ought to be. Hey, it gets it gets rid of land sometimes, but like only if the opponent wants to sack the land. <laughs> right, uh, I, right. I'm not a huge fan of the card. All right, moving on to Queen Kayla Bin Krug. It's a one and a red white, so three mana, two three legendary creature, human noble. You can pay four mana and tap it. Discard all the cards in your hand, then draw that many cards. Seems really good, right? Just wait. You may choose an artifact or creature card with mana value 1 you discarded this way. Then do the same for artifact or creature cards with mana values 2 and 3. Return those cards to the battlefield. Activate only as a sorcery. So, you do have to have a 1-drop, a 2-drop, and a 3-drop, or some combination of... Actually, if you don't have a 1-drop, can you even do the 2 and 3? Does it work like that? I'm not sure. But, basically, discard your hand and replay some cards onto the battlefield if you have a 1-drop, 2-drop, and or 3-drop in your hand, right? Yeah, I don't think you actually need to climb the ladder. I think you get the option for each mana value, whether or not you had the one drop and whether or not you had the two drop. Okay. Bottom line is, you have to get this on the board on turn three. It has to survive. And then you have to play an untapped land and then do this. Is that worth doing? That's the evaluation, right? Yeah. Um, I, I, think that, I think that you have to decide whether the two three has a place in your deck without the ability. Because four mana to activate something that's card neutral... Um, and relies on your graveyard when in a format where graveyard trespasser exists uh, is is asking a lot, and I kind of don't think we're there. But all I can think about is like Bomat Courier and mm -hmm. card and ma like Madness decks that want to discard a bunch of cards, and I feel like I really want to try it. I mean, this card isn't even net neutral in cards, right? It's like pure card advantage. It discards every card yeah. in your hand, so you kind of have to work around that. But you draw the same amount. You draw the same amount of cards, and then put the cards on the battlefield. So it's like strict card advantage, right? And it it's, gets it, it would get well, around it, graveyard it, hate, right? It's not strict card advantage, right? Because if you don't have anything in the graveyard to bring back, then it's it's card neutral. And you have graveyard trespassers in the format that are pretty good at cleaning up the graveyard. Unlicensed Hearse is a card that people play. Wait. Um. So wait. What? Maybe I'm misreading this card. You discard the cards, and then among the cards you discard, you bring them to the battlefield. Oh, so it's even worse. I I, uh, I thought that it was uh, any card in your graveyard. No. Um, it's among the cards you discard, so your opponent can only get rid of that at, like... You, your opponent can't even interact with that, right? Because it's all one ability. Your opponent can't even have... Your opponent can't even hearse that. That is true. That is true. You're right about that. I, I uh, misread that effect. Right. Yeah, okay, that's better than I thought. Right. So it does work around, like, all the graveyard hate. And you do draw that many cards. Say you discard like three cards because you have a three drop, you untap, you draw a card, you play a land. Say you discard like three or four cards and you discard them and you play like two of them, maybe. Maybe one's a, maybe one's a two drop, one's a three drop. Um, and you draw three or four new cards and have the two and the three drop on the board. Is that good enough? Like it seems really good, but it seems like Christmas plan for that all to happen. Yeah, it's seven mana worth of investment when you consider the creature and the ability and you need to live for a turn and at the end of the day you get to draw 
let's say, three cards and you get three, five, six mana worth of value back. That so, seems like it seems good. It does seem good. It does die to cut down. It does die to go for the throat. Uh, it needs to live for a turn cycle, and the ability is expensive, and it requires you to have three artifacts in your hand that you want to put into play. And artifacts, let's be honest, artifacts, artifacts or creatures. Yeah, and so you're going to need to have um, uh, you're going to need to have a hand that actually affects the board in a meaningful way, which honestly you won't always after you've played your three drop. Like turn four onward, you're probably you, you might not have uh, the nuts hand to uh, to put things into into play that you would want to. Right. So overall, you're just like. You kind of want to try it, but you're kind of like, I don't know if it's going to work out. For me, this is more, this is like in the same way that Urza Prince of Krug was. This is a show me card. I think I have higher hopes for this card than I have for Urza. All right. Yeah, I can see I that. Really, I really want to see it in a madness deck in particular. Oh, for sure. Because you, you'd be able to discard like instants and sorceries and then madness your three damage spell or whatever and then madness something else and then also bring them back. Yeah. Yeah, that, be, that seems pretty yeah, fun. Like, like, Fiery Temper, this kind of thing, or like Blazing Root Walla, uh, would just be insane. Right. So that, that seems like a fun thing to do. If anything, it'll be a fun build around. All right. That is it for our Mythics and Rares for Multicolor cards. Let's go ahead and move really quick onto the artifacts. And then we'll, we have artifacts and lands, and that's it. We're done. Rootwire okay. Amalgam is a five mana, five, five artifact creature golem. It's a Mythic Rare. Has prototype for one and a green. And this is, I think this is the first time we're explaining prototypes, so I'll explain what it does. You may cast this spell with different mana cost, color, and size. It keeps its abilities and types. So it actually just physically changes the color of the card, which is a really cool thing, especially when with in, in limited, that you can basically use the root wilder amalgam in any deck. But if you're playing green, you can happen to use the prototype, which is pretty cool. But this isn't a limited podcast. We're talking about constructed here. How do you evaluate a one and a green for a two, three that has this ability three and double green. So five mana total sacrifice root wire amalgam, create an XX colorless golem artifact creature token where X is three times root wire amalgam's power. It gains haste until end of turn activate only as a sorcery. So play this on two as a two, three in your mono green deck or whatever. And then later on down the line, you can pay five mana into this and you get a six, six haste. <laughs> Uh, and that's your two drop. But this is a five mana five five, so you can also cast this for five if you want to. And then the next, the very next turn, you can pay five mana into this, sacrifice the amalgam, and create a 15 15 haste. This doesn't have trample, which you would think it does, but it doesn't, so it can get easily chump blocked. So, with that said, how do you evaluate this card? Yeah, I mean, it's pretty obvious the home that this deck wants to be in, right? It's a ramp payoff that also uh, you can cast as a 2-3 blocker in the early game to make sure that you don't die. Um, I feel like it only creates one object on the board, and that object dies to most of the removal spells in the format, and the ability is expensive to activate as well. So I'm not, like, super thrilled with this card, but I definitely see what they were going for. I do like, I, I will say quickly, the prototype um, mechanic as a whole. It's a way to get around the Smuggler's Copter issue, where if you have a good enough artifact, um, then every deck in any color wants to play it. Uh, prototype is a way to encourage devotion to a particular color while still making the artifacts available to any deck that wants uh, just the base creature. Um, so I, I like prototype as a matter of design. Um, this card is good. It doesn't excite me too much. Just solid. 
Yeah, I mean, it's probably a mythic because it's just a bomb diddy bomb bomb in uh in limited. Like fifteen yeah. fifteen, like this the fifteen fifteen doesn't actually die or anything. It just like stays on the board. So and it doesn't actually get go for the throated, which is interesting. So you have to have also true. It doesn't get go for the throated, it also doesn't get cut down. So the removal spells we're talking is just like I don't know, just like Wandering Emperor and Infernal Grasp? Like you, you like you said it does die to a lot of things, but like does it really? Uh I mean the two three does. The two three dies to cut down. And if it, let me put it to you this way. If you had a if I said you I could give you a ten mana hasty fifteen fifteen uh that you could pay for in installments, would you think that was a good card? I mean pay for paying for installments and you get the five mana five five as the first installment. If you're playing mono green I think I would like that. There's not, there's not many, there's like a lot of five mana cards you can play in mono green, which is like Defiler of Vigor or the Silverback, Silverback Elder of other formats. And those cards are still in mono green. Does this take the spot of one of those cards? Because you could also make the case that you can play, uh, there's a three mana card that says all, all, um, all modified creatures you control have trample. So you can also make a case that you can play a couple of those and then modify the root wire, giving it a plus one, plus one counter from whatever else gives a plus one, plus one counter in green and hit with a 15-15 trample. So there's a lot of things that you could do, but does it take a spot in mono green is my question. And maybe it does, maybe it doesn't, but it is at least a fun thing that you can do and try out, right? Yeah, for sure. All right, moving on to a powerhouse, an eight mana, eight, eight. Artifact, Creature, Construct, Colorless, Mythic Rare, Trample. When you cast this spell and whenever city Cityscape Leveler attacks, destroy up to one target non-land permanent. Its controller creates a tapped Power Stone token, and it has Unearth for eight. <laughs> okay. In Limited, you can just say goodbye to your opponent when you cast this, but it's a cast trigger, which is not an... It's not an enter, enter the Battlefield trigger on purpose, because they don't want you just re reanimating this and doing that, but... It is when you cast it and when it attacks, but it, it's eight mana. How are you playing this in Constructed, if you are? Yeah, I mean, it's probably not bad in, like, a Karn Wishboard or something in Pioneer, because because it's on a cast trigger and the opponent can't counter it, it's, like, an uncounterable destroy effect, which probably does have a home in big mana decks like Mono Green and Pioneer. Um, I don't think the uh, Power Stone... Uh, shard is great compensation for the opponent, so I think that it's it, not. we can, for all intents and purposes, just call it destroy target permanent. So I think it's like just a better meteor golem. Um, it's a Unearth way better like, meteor golem. Yeah, it's. I, I think it and meteor golem was already seeing uh, some play in some uh, like wish boards for Karn as well. Uh, the the unearth effect is also kind of nice, um, although not super important. And just you know, an eight eight can swing the board. Yeah, I mean i've I've never seen a mono green devotion list not play meteor golem. So it getting this card as a strict upgrade, Meteor Golem's a 3-3, ladies and gentlemen. It's a 3-3. This is an 8-8 trample, and it also works when you when you cast it and when it attacks. You know how many times I've been attacked with a Meteor Golem and it just does nothing but be a 3-3? Like, this card also kills an online permanent when it attacks also. And a attached Power Stone token is... I, I don't like that. Like, I, I think, honestly, giving a attached Power Stone token is more insulting than giving me nothing. Yeah. Yeah, I'm like, what the hell am I supposed to do with this garbage? Like, all, what you're making me do is fish a token out of my box that I don't even want. And also, like, you can't even tap it because they have Karn. 
that's, that's poetic justice right there. <laughs> that's so funny. It, it, it just makes fun of you, actually, I think. <laughs> it gives you the power of token that you can't even tap. <laughs> Anyways, this card is pretty good. We'll be seeing played in Pioneer for sure. Uh, whether it makes its way into standard, I'm not sure, because 8 mana is a lot. Like, for, for example, it's a lot to cast 6 mana. To, to play a 6 mana card like Farewell, it's going to be even harder to play this card. So we'll see what this does in standard. Maybe you could just unearth it and just put it in your graveyard and unearth it with a bunch of power stone tokens you have. You could also do that. We can all, you, I mean, you can yeah, also rent. Then you, then you don't get the destroy trigger. You, you unearthing is not cast. Well, you right? unearth has haste, which means you attack with it and then destroy something. Sure. So you can unearth this actually because the, the might stone and weak stone that we're going to go over in a second actually ramps you as like as an artifact it's like a power stone but it, it's a it's a double ramp card anyway we'll get to it <clears throat> that you can use to unearth this card if you really want to moving on to the next one blade coil serpent i had the pleasure of opening this card in my sealed for my pre-release and it was bonkers x and six colorless mana for an artifact creature serpent it is a mythic it's a five four when Blake Quell Serpent enters the battlefield for each double blue spent to cast it, draw a card. When it enters the battlefield for each double black spent to cast it, each opponent discards a card. And then for each double red spent to cast it, it gets plus one, plus O, oh, and trample, and haste until end of turn. So I cast this for quad black and double red in my Rakdos aggro deck and attack them with a 6-4 haste trample opponent discards two cards card and instantly won the game. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I mean, in Sealed, it's going to do that, but what does this do in Constructed? This card's a great top end in any blue-black deck, I think. The red ability is nice. Um, any deck that's running blue or black, I think, wants the, uh, would want this as a top end. Uh, I, 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 am, I have a love affair with this card. I think this card is outstanding. Um, I don't think it's necessarily going to like dominate standard. It is very expensive, but it makes my you know cold withered heart very happy. Like is it like this would have in a blue black control deck? This would have to be better than Holebreaker Horror. Oh no, you're insane. That that's not true. Why not? <laughs> uh, Holebreaker Holebreaker Horror being uncounterable is a huge deal. Oh no, I'm saying of the game. no. You get me wrong. This would have to be better than. Than Holbreaker Horror to see play, which is oh, why it would yeah, not sure. see play. That's what I was saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Yeah, sorry. I thought you were saying the opposite. Oh, yeah. no, 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 no. <laughs> this card is not better than Holbreaker. If it was like, you know, you know where I see this deck, this card actually? In like a Soul Tie ramp deck that you just like play black because it has good removal, but you're at its core, you're playing a Simic ramp deck. And this, this yeah, is your sure, Hydroid Crisis. Right? So you dump like eight blue mana into yeah. this. And then you draw four cards, which is like your Hydroid Crisis that it used to be. Even though Hydroid Crisis was a cash trigger and has flying and all that good stuff, yeah, we know Hydroid Crisis is better than this. But yeah, I know it, it's funny. It, it, that made me that, that actually made me way lower on this card than I was before. Like I know you're like comparing it and saying, "Oh, Hydroid Crisis was great." This is like in the same vein. I'm like, no, actually, this is much worse than Hydroid Crisis, <laughs> no. uh, which is like barely seeing play. So yeah, that kind of crushed the card. I mean, <laughs> so you went from loving like, it to hating it in one three minute segment of the podcast. I don't hate it. And I never <laughs> I I love it as a flavor card. It's exactly the kind of card that I love playing. Um, but I think the way you just described it made me feel a lot worse about it. I mean, you don't have to play it like that. You could play it in your mopey Demir control deck. 
Oh, I will. Uh, there's, <laughs> you, there's actually, not much makes me happier than a Mopey Demir Control deck. Actually, you know what this reminds me of? And you're probably going to get a kick out of this. In Demir Control, you remember like Symbiont something? It was like a six mana 3-3 three, three flyer. And it said like when it ETBs, like your opponent discards a card and you draw a card. Like no, that's before my time. Symbiosis or whatever. It's it's just a Demir like five or six drop pretty bad, but it 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 just draws a card and makes your opponent discard a card. That's what this is gonna do in your mobile Demir control deck. Maybe it makes you draw two cards or make your opponent discard two cards, but it's kind of like that, and that card wasn't good. Yeah. Yeah. It seems like you know that already, but you're just like, you want to play it anyway. Yeah, I think that's exactly <laughs> right. <laughs> I know better, but it's not going to stop me. <laughs> you know better, Airball. Um, I'm probably going to be building this card in a Simic Ramp deck, and it's going to be great. All right, moving on to the next one, Platoon Dispenser. This is a super fun card. It's a 5-mana artifact creature construct. It's a 4-6. At the beginning of your end step, if you control two or more other creatures, draw a card. Pay three and a white. Creature, create a 1-1 colorless soldier artifact creature token, and then you can unearth this for 2 and 2 white. So this is a token factory that if you do control more than one token, or more than two creatures, or two or more other creatures, draw cards. So, you know, actually, you know what? I don't like this card now that I just said that. You know why? Yeah. It reminds because me it of the Mopey artifact or enchantment that says gain two life and draw a card if your life is more than your starting life total. Like what is that card? Yep, yep. That's exactly. I don't know how you how you and I came to the same thing there, but like investing a ton of mana to get a single token. Yeah, that's exactly where I was going with it. This card is bad. What what was that card called again? Dawn of Hope. Yeah, well, it was, it's, not, it's not even just Dawn of Hope. It's Dawn of Hope, which this does remind me of, since it has that like white artifact flavor to it. But there's also another one. There there was a, there's a three they had nerfed it in Alchemy. It was uh, it made it like scry one and then draw a card if your life total was higher than your starting life total. And it like you gained two life at your end step. It, it was just oh like God, a really bad, know. like three mana artifact. Anyway, it's a lot of mana for something that like doesn't really do much, but like maybe it's too good for limited, which is why they made it a mythic. But this is a mythic rare of all. Think yeah, about that. It's a mythic rare because it's so it's so good and limited. Um, t having two or more creatures live is not a hard thing to, to achieve in limited. Uh, and you have, like, and four mana for a 1-1 token is, like, not enough to make you cry and limited like it is in Constructed. So, like, the, the card is, is quite good there, but uh, I can't see a Constructed application for it. Yeah, me either. I mean, it does have Unearthed for, unearth for four, but, like, why would you want to, like, haste this and have it get exiled and make, like, a single 1-1? One one? <laughs> can't even, I can't yeah, even what be... the hell is that? That's... <laughs> I, can't, I can't even say this seriously. <laughs> And it's, it's all four six, I guess. It also but... just it also doesn't like make a colorless. Uh, if what if it even if it made a colorless soldier artifact creature token for free at the end step, it would still be bad. You have to pay four mana to do that. Yeah. Originally, this, I thought this I... does scream. <laughs> this does scream like it will get buffed in alchemy in like a month. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's gonna get buffed in alchemy to make the one one for free and still see no play. <laughs> All right, let's move on to Liberator Urza's Battlethopter. This card actually, I think, is pretty good for those artifact creature decks we were thinking about. Three mana, one, two. You think that's bad, but wait to the rest. Legendary artifact creature Thopter it has flash and flying. You may cast colorless spells and artifact spells as though they had flash. Whenever you cast a spell, if the amount of mana spent to cast that spell is greater than Liberator Urza's Battlethopter's power, 
put a plus one plus one counter on Liberator. Uh, so you flash this in, you go to your turn, you play a land and you pass. Who doesn't want it? Who doesn't love doing that? Right? Just play a land and draw go, you know, with Urza's Battle Thopter on the board. And then you play a two drop with Flash and you get a plus one plus one counter on Liberator. Then you play a three drop, you get another plus one plus one counter. And then you can kind of like tempo your way with the Liberator into casting everything with Flash. What do you think about this? Yeah, this kind of reminds me of the old Wrath Capuchin card from uh, from Dominaria. And I, I remember that. that card saw. Yeah, that card saw play in the uh, five color Niv decks because. You would flash in on turn four, Raph, on your opponent's end step, and if they countered it, then they were tapped out and you could resolve Niv. And if they didn't counter it, then you just said go yeah. and waited until their turn and tried to resolve Niv on their end step. Uh, and it was this huge tempo-swingy card. And at the same time, the fact that this is a 1-2 that grows in decks that want to spend big mana, like artifact decks tend to do, I think that's pretty good, honestly. So, like, imagine what four-drop colorless cards... <laughs> what four-drop four colorless cards do we talk about a lot, uh, James, that we think... Karn, baby! Karn! Yeah. <laughs> so, imagine flashing this in on your opponent's end step, and they're in that Wrath Capuchin spot where they know a Karn is coming down. Um... And it's going to grow this Thopter if uh, if you're even allowed to cast it and start putting pressure on the opponent. Yeah, so, I mean, it's not just that, right? Like, there's a lot... You, you can flash this on turn three, and then on turn four, you play an untapped land and pass, and your opponent does their turn like normal, and then you flash in a Reckoner Bankbuster. <laughs> and then... Sure. <laughs> on, on four mana, and then your or Liberator gets a plus one, plus one counter, and now it's a two-three flyer, and then you get to use the Reckoner Bankbuster in the same turn drawing a card, and then you draw for turn, and then play a land and say go again. <laughs> like, like, it just puts your opponent in weird spots, uh, and, and it makes them, like, kind of neat have to kill Liberator at all costs, or else it's going to kill you. I think this is a really cool build yep. around, and I will be building around this, and it seems really cool. It's a legend, uh, which does suck a lot, because this is the kind of card that you would want to be a four of in the kind of strategy that I'm describing. Um, but, you know, I think it's still pretty strong. Yeah, for sure. All right. Let's go with the next one, which is sta the Stasis Coffin. Is it as scary as Stasis? I don't know. We'll see. It's a three-mana legendary artifact. You can pay two and tap it, exile the Stasis Coffin. You gain protection from everything until your next turn. All right. What is up with artifacts that you can get from Karn Great Creator that exile themselves? Like, why do they all exile themselves? Uh, to piss me off, basically. <laughs> uh... <laughs> to remind me that they should have eroded Karn a long time ago to not be able to fetch things that were exiled, uh, but they didn't and they won't, and it makes me sad. It's 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 like it's like they want to ban Karn or something. I don't I don't know. Like they they make everything exile. Anyways, it gives you protection from everything. So good luck, opponents attacking you, because that's never going to happen. But what what do we think about Stasis Coffin in another format like Standard? Uh, I think it's probably bad. Um, it's five mana to at to one turn for one turn protect you from say damage from a creature or whatever. So you're you're time walking yourself to buy yourself another turn later in the game. Um, and that doesn't really feel so great against any deck that isn't just trying to kill you outright with damage. Um, blue white control laps in your face if you're playing this deck. Um, and in fact, I think most decks do. So I'm not a huge fan of this card in standard. It's like protection from everything just means like you fog a turn, I guess. Yeah. All right. It's I, a five I, mana fog. I, I agree. Um, I don't. Th yeah, I don't you think you can it's recur that good. with Karn. 
Like, I don't think it's that good unless you're just recycling it every turn with Karn. And uh, yes. we all know how we feel about that. Yes. All right, moving on to Portal to Phyrexia. Now, this is the card I was talking about that you can bring back with the Mishra from the graveyard to unearth for one, a black, and a red. Portal to Phyrexia is a nine-mana artifact. It's a mythic. When Portal to Phyrexia enters the battlefield, each opponent sacrifices three creatures. At the beginning of your upkeep, put target creature card from a graveyard onto the battlefield under your control. So it includes opponent's graveyards. It's a Phyrexian in addition to its other types. So you can discard this card to fable the Mirror Breaker. Attack with your 2-2 Goblin Shaman. Make a treasure token. Play an untapped land. Cast, cast the Mishra. And then next turn, bring back Portal to Phyrexia from your graveyard with Unearth for three mana. And make your opponent sacrifice all their creatures. You won't get the beginning of your upkeep trigger because it will exile itself at the end of the turn. But you will get to, you know, make your opponent sacrifice the creatures. There's another deck that I think that, I, that I've played this in and that's very good as well, but a way that you can cheat it out of the graveyard as well. But how do you evaluate this card? And I mean, I guess you're never getting to nine. I guess you could get nine, into nine mana and limited, but how are you doing this in constructed? Yeah, I think that you're probably not. Um, nine mana is like cheated into play or uh, it's not or it's never going to happen territory. There's a reason omniscience costs 10. It's like that's just an amount of mana that's just not reasonable to ever cast in any constructed format. Um, so I think the question is, can you cheat it into play profitably, um, reliably? So like that Mishra card that we were looking at earlier that gave artifacts in your graveyard unearth, um, you can get a portal for, to Phyrexia for one turn, which is obviously really, really good some of the time, but not even all of the time, right? If your opponent doesn't have many creatures in play or you don't have anything uh, appealing to reanimate with portal to Phyrexia in play, the card isn't that great if it, if it gets unearthed. And also, Mishra is like one of the only good ways to cheat the artifact into play anyway. So without Mishra, this card just sits dead in your hand and you're very sad. So I think it's just like a much, much, much worse God Pharaoh's gift in a way. I think a there's a card that. you're not thinking of with this. Maybe. There's a, there's a five mana reanimate card that doesn't reanimate creatures in standard. And I think it's either in this set or in a past set. I think it's in this set. But it, it, it's, I think it's an uncommon, but it's five mana, three and three and double white, I believe. And it says return a, an artifact, enchantment, or something else from your, or Planeswalker, I think, from your graver to the battlefield. And that's all the card says. And I think you that's actually make, I think you actually I know make like a power stone token. Yeah, it's, it's, it's in standard. It's five mana. And you, I think you make a power okay. stone token also, not that it matters, but not that that matters. But um, I did play a deck already that, Discarded this card with Fable of the Mirror Breaker, or, you know, maybe you can even use the two-mana blue-white card that draws two and discards two, the Faithful Mending. You play a lot of cards like that in, in a deck like this. There's even a card that draws three cards and discards a basic land. Um, and if you don't discard a basic land, you discard two cards instead. You can also play that. <clears throat> oh, wait, there's also the one that you discard an artifact instead of discarding two cards. So uh, there's, there's a, like a discard shenanigans thing you can do with this. And then you can attack with your Fable the Mirror Breaker token, make a treasure token, play your untapped land, and play the five mana reanimate card on Portal to Phyrexia. The cool thing about that is, is that in, um, unlike the Unearth ability, this stays on the battlefield to your next up upkeep to return a, battle, a creature to the battlefield. So um, that is the best way I've seen to cheat this out, and that's something that I've already played, and it's really, really good. Yeah, I would love to see like how this card works with Refurbish in Historic. Oh, for sure. So that, that would be cool. 
Um, but it, I, I don't know the card you're talking about in standard. Uh, if it exists, then um, maybe, oh, it exists. maybe there's hope for this card. Great. Yep. Uh, all right, moving on to Urza Silex. Um, newsflash, this also exiles itself. <laughs> anyway, <Great>. it's a, le <laughs> a legendary artifact. You can pay two and double white, so four mana, and tap it and exile Urza Silex. Each player chooses six lands they control. Destroy all other permanents. Activate only as a sorcery. When Urza Silex is put into exile from the battlefield, you may pay two colorless mana. If you do, search your library for a Planeswalker card, reveal it, put it in your hand, then shuffle. That seems pretty good, but it does take white mana to use it. So how do you evaluate Urza Silex? Bad. Like, I, I feel like a uh, seven mana board wipe is kind of unplayable. And I also feel like um, the ability to fetch a Planeswalker card from the deck is probably not super relevant most of the time either. Um, like, imagine taking two turns to, to wrap the board. It's this kind of the same problem that Karn's Silex has, where the opponent sees it coming face up and can play around it forever. Yeah, that's true. But with Power Stones, this doesn't come in tapped, so you can you can play it and use it in the same turn, unlike Karn Silex, which I think gives Urza Silex a little bit more of an upside. So it is seven mana, but it, it destroys all other permanents besides six lands on either battlefield, which is a better effect, I think, than Karn Silex. I think, yes, it is definitely better than Karn Silex, um, but like... It's kind of like a, a cleansing Nova or farewell kind of effect, and I don't. Farewell was even cheaper, honestly, than Urza Silex and does more. It, this hits Planeswalkers, I guess. So maybe it comes in against Planeswalker heavy builds. I don't know. This this card just feels mopey to me. So what you do is you use this, pay two, and then search Karn, and then get it back out of exile. Sure, in, in, in here, <laughs> sure. Yeah, like. <coughs> Like, obviously, all of these cards are so much better with Karn that it, it's ridiculous. But uh, in Standard or something, I don't feel like it's great. All right, moving on to the next one. Seven mana, four, three. Arcane Proxy. Uh, Wizards makes proxies now into real cards. Confirmed. All right, it's an artifact creature wizard. It has prototype for one blue-blue for a 2-1. When Arcane Proxy enters the battlefield, if you cast it, exile target instant or sorcery card with mana value less than or equal to Arcane Proxy's power from your graveyard. Copy that card. You may cast the copy without paying its mana cost. So it's like an artifact version of Snapcaster Mage, but that doesn't have flash, but it's three mana to do that for the one blue, blue, two, one side of it. And you can only use it to cast a two mana or less um, instant or sorcery without paying its mana cost. But if you do get it on the battlefield and you cast it for seven mana as the four, three, you can flash back a four drop. So I don't know how relevant this is going to be in standard. I don't know if you're ramping into this card, if you're just playing it in blue decks, but how do you evaluate Arcane Proxy at the at face value? I think the card is pretty reasonable. Um, I am, like, super into casting it and flashing back, like, Expressive Iteration, if, if that's oh, yeah. as possible in a format where that's still legal. Um, I guess Modern? But, uh, yeah, I guess. Um, but Modern is, like, so, so far above my pay grade that I don't know. I feel like a 2-1 for one Snapcaster, I guess you could flash back like a removal spell. Like if we're talking about Mopey Demir decks again. Oh my god. <laughs> um, Go for the throat. Yeah, sure. Uh, I don't think you're ever casting the 4-3 for 7 and feeling happy about it, right? No, like the only, the only time you're ever doing this is in your green-blue ramp deck. <laughs> 
And you're flashing back growth spiral, yeah. I guess. <laughs> no, not growth spiral. I'm talking about in standard when you're playing the blade coil serpent to be your hydroid crisis. You can also do use your oh. arcane proxy to flash back your, I don't know, whelming wave. <laughs> oh, you know what you can do? You can flash back, see the truth. And, oh, uh, and, and like get three cards off of it? Draw three. Yeah. That's true. Maybe that's the play. Because you're not casting it from your hand. That's cool. Okay, there's like different things you can do with Arcane Proxy that are cool, whether or not it's good or not, or mythic worthy is another question, I think. Yeah. Alright, moving on to Clay Champion. I've seen this card be huge, by the way. It's X and, X and 4 for a 2-2 artifact creature construct. Clay Champion enters the battlefield with 3 plus 1 plus 1 counters on it for each green green spent to cast it. When Clay Champion enters the battlefield, choose up to two other target creatures you control. For each white-white spent to cast Clay Champion, put a plus one plus one counter on each of them. I've seen Clay Champion come down as like a four mana six six, I think it is. Right? Put three yeah. plus one plus one counters for each double green, so three six. No, it's an eight eight. Yeah, if you cast it for four exactly. green mana, it's an eight eight. So four mana eight eight in your mono green deck. But if you played it in a green white deck and say you went like double green, double white for it at four four mana, it's a Four mana, five, five, that puts plus one, plus one counters on each of up to two creatures you control. Yeah, I remember sitting there doing the math when I saw this card was spoiled, and I thought, that can't be right, I must be doing this wrong. <laughs> uh, this, is, this is just an absurd amount of power on on this card. Um, that said, like, uh, I, I feel like this is very good, and I think it will definitely see play, but I also kind of felt the same way about that card from Strixhaven that gave you a token that was, like, the size of the number of cards in your library. And that just never really saw play at all either. So what do I know? Right. They're, they're, I feel like Wizards is is doing this thing where it's like, how big do we need a creature to be to be playable with no keywords? Yeah, exactly. Um, and four mana eight eight is where we are good. now. <laughs> yeah, uh, and it might and it might still not make the cut. Honestly, um, I could see it like in a gruel deck where you have something that, to give it haste, like a reckless storm seeker or something. Um, and, and when you have that in play, and then you have just an eight eight that gets haste when it comes down the next turn, that well, would be pretty nuts. Well, you do have to have a weird mana base to make that work, right? Because you have to pay quad green in your gruel deck to play this as yeah, an eight eight. So you would need to have you you'd need to have good duels available to do that. Which I guess we have Carpluzen Forest, but like that's it in standard right now, right? Yeah, I mean, if you if you just cast it for two green and and two red, then it's still a five five haste for four. Uh, with the Reckless Storm yeah, Seeker. Yeah, 6 5 so with Reckless Storm Seeker, right? State. Yeah, that's right. Yep. So I, I don't think that's too bad. I think it's a pretty good aggressive card. I don't know. We'll see. And uh, it does come with counters on it, so it does make the. Um, it does mean that it's modified, which means it would have Trample if you have Kodama on the board. Kodama of the East Tree, I believe it is. Mm -hmm. so, and the Thundering Raiju as well also gets pings off of it being modified. Right, so, so uh, we'll see. We'll, maybe there's something to that card. Anyways, moving on to the next Mythic Rare, Skitterbeam Battalion. Nine mana. Oh my gosh, what's up with everything being nine mana? Nine mana, four, four. It has prototype for three and double red, so it's a five mana, two, two for the prototype. As a, as a nine mana card, it's a four, four. Trample and Haste. When Skitterbloom Battalion, Skitterbeam Battalion enters the battlefield, if you cast it, create two tokens that are copies of it. So... Let's say you use the prototype and it's a 5-mana 2-2. Two, two. Then you get three red 5-mana 2-2s two, on the board. So 5-mana for 6-6 six, six in total power and toughness with Trample and Haste. That kind of reminds me of Burn Down the House, to be honest. With, like, just, just making the devils. 
that's what the five mana thing like feels like to me without the ability to deal five to everything. But like the nine mana part of it is like never gonna happen, right? <laughs> yeah, nine mana is never gonna happen, and I think the five mana is kind of mopey as well. Like five mana, and you get three two twos. Eh. Like that feels Man. not good enough, right? I mean, yeah, I, I, I mean, just so often get stopped by whatever's in standard. Right I mean, if now. you're like, playing like a lot of big booties around. Yeah. I mean, but if you're playing like a Jeskai artifact creatures deck and you're playing the blue white artifact creature thing that gives everything plus two plus two and turn four, you play the artifact creature thing and then turn five, you do this. And then now you have three, four, four haste tramples because it gives everything plus two plus two. Yeah. One That's good. Nice thing, like. This this card's job is like not to be a mid rangey threat, right? This this card's job, I think, is the top end of an aggro deck and kill you. That uh, <clears throat> right? That so you've you've put enough pressure on your opponent, you've successfully gotten them to tap out for a board wipe, and now you get six hasty damage out of nowhere across three permanents that um, basically forces them to wipe the board again, or they're done. I think that's the job of this card. Whether that has a home in standard or not, I guess we're gonna have to see. But I I don't think it has any role as a nine. Uh, mana creature. I think if if the deck that wants this casts it for nine, then it's very sad. And I think if you're doing that top end kill you thing, I think turn four is where you want to do that right now, especially with Monastery's Footspear in the format and you wanting to actually play like 22, 21, 20 lands in your deck. You're never getting to five. Like Thundering Raiju is probably your top end anyway, and that's four mana. And a lot of the times you're going to have that in your hand while you kill your opponent anyway and not able to cast your four drop. So being, sometimes you'll yeah. hit five, right? Like, like you know, we've all been, played those aggro decks and flooded out. Like, sometimes you will get to five. Yeah, but it's not something you'll do every game and not something that you're, like, counting on with Sitter Beam Battalion no. in your deck. All right, moving on to a very powerful one, Phyrexian Flush Gorger. It's a seven mana, seven five Phyrexian Worm Artifact Creature. It has prototype for one and a black and another black, so three total mana for a three three Menace Lifelink with Ward Pay Life equal to Phyrexian Flush Gorger's power. So this card has been interesting in mono black decks and red black midrange and aggro decks in standard in over the past couple days that I've been playing on arena. And just as a three mana three three with medicine lifelink that has ward pay three life is still pretty good on rate. But what if you have this as a seven mana seven five ward pay seven life? How do you evaluate this card? I think the card is pretty solid uh, in a mono black aggro deck. Uh, Menace and Lifelink are two pretty relevant uh, uh, abilities against other creature decks. Um, Ward effectively gives it haste if the opponent uh, hits it with targeted removal. I don't really think you're ever going to play it for seven, um, but the the, the uh, just the prototype ability alone makes it pretty good. Yeah, one thing we haven't mentioned yet is that these prototype cards, you can blink them and it comes back on their non-prototype side. If you blink them or reanimate them, it does come back for the non-prototype side, so that's pretty good. Um, anyways, let's move on to Surge Engine. It's a 2-mana, three, 3-2, two, artifact creature construct with Defender. It has one blue, Surge Engine loses Defender and gains this creature can't be blocked. And then you can pay 2 and a blue to have it become a blue, to become blue, and has base power and toughness 5-4, activate only if Surge Engine doesn't have Defender. And you can pay 4 blue-blue for 6-mana to draw 3 cards, activate only if Surge Engine is blue and only once. I've seen a, a couple content creators playing with this card. I like. I feel like I'm a believer and I'm not a believer at the same time with this. It's like, 
I don't, I don't know. The, when it gets to the point where it's a 5-4 and can't be blocked, it's super scary. But, like, are you ever drawing cards off of this? Yeah, this kind of feels like Ascendant Spirit, right? Like this staircase pattern where you have your build-your-own Voltron in one card kind of thing. But it's always massively disappointing because the activated ability is so expensive and it feels like such a blowout when it gets killed in response. So that does kind of suck. Uh, also, it's like... This kind of card would be pretty good with the original defender ability if it had a big butt that would keep you alive and then eventually you take over the game, but it doesn't. Like, 3-2 is not a stat line that's really going to affect the, the game by the time the card becomes relevant. And, like, 4 mana that turned into a 5-4 in addition to the 2 you paid to begin with? Meh. Yeah, I, I mean, I don't love this card. the only time I see this thing play is in, like, a mono-blue tempo deck. Um, but does this really replace, like, the one drop, the one, one mana one one that turns into the Aberration, the 3-2, the super super popular card that I also forgot the name of off the top of my head? I need to have, like, more Delver coffee or something, because I'm forgetting iconic cards now. Delver of Secrets yes. uh, is the card you're thinking a Am, am I yeah. cancelled from podcasts now that I forgot Delver of Secrets? Yeah, you're fired. I'll, I'll take it from here. All right, go um, ahead. All right, see ya. You go, go play with uh, Michael's sword. All right. <laughs> I mean, I, I need more coffee, I guess. I don't know. But I, I, I like, are you, replace, are you replacing that card? Like, are you, you no, like, you're not replacing this... Hottygen. So, like, and, I, think and... you're, I think you're right that this is a tempo card. I just don't think that it's a very good tempo card. So I'm not a huge yeah. fan. Okay. All right, moving on to Autonomous Assembler. It's a five mana, four, five with prototype for one and a white for a two, two. It has Vigilance. You can pay one and tap it to put a plus one, plus one counter on target assembly worker you control. Are we talking assembly worker tribal here? Ooh. <laughs> this card stinks. At least this doesn't oh have unearth for four. <laughs> what is wrong with this card? Two, two, vigilance for two. Magic as, as Richard Garfield intended. Holy crap. Um... <laughs> Okay. If you didn't have to tap to put a counter on something, then sure. But uh, no, this card is abysmal. Like, like you're never casting it as a five mana four five. Like, it's this is a two mana two two in white for vigilance. Two mana two two vigilance, which is like not that bad. But when you take into consideration that in standard right now we have a two mana two three lifelink with another ability that also doesn't see play. So when so when you consider yeah. that, this card will never will not see play. I mean, it's also not yep. a soldier, so, like, what are you even going to do? You have Thalia Guardian of Thraben for crying out loud. You're not going to play an Autonomous Assembler for a 2-mana 2-2 Vigilance. Yeah. Anyway, that, that, that's it. That's, that's all we're going to talk about about that card. All right, moving on to Razor Lash Transmigrant. It's a 2-mana 3-1 artifact creature zombie. Razor Lash Transmigrant can't block. You can pay 4 black black, so 6-mana total, to return Razor Lash Transmigrant from your graveyard to the battlefield with a plus 1, plus 1 counter on it. This ability costs four less to activate if an opponent controls four or more non-basic lands. So better in best of three than best of one, that's for sure, because best of one has a lot of mono black, mono white, mono red, mono blue, mono green, and two-color decks, but in best of three, you can get away with it because there's a lot of mid-range decks and nobody plays any basic lands. Um, this, You know what this reminds me of? Scrap Heap Scrounger. Scrap Heap Scrounger, yep. That it, it costs exactly two mana at instant speed to return to the from the graveyard to the battlefield. This gets a plus one, plus one counter on it, so it becomes a four-two which is pretty good, and it's a two-mana artifact creature just like the other card, and it can't block just like the other one. And I remember the name of that, by the way, because I played with Scrap Heap Scrounger. 
Um, yeah, I love Scrappy Scrounger. So are you? Are you? Do you uh, love this card? Happy. Like just like Scrappy Scrounger, or is this like too cheeky of a six mana ability to do? So I think it comes down obviously a lot to how often your opponent's going to have four or more non-basic lands, and I think that will happen a lot more as standard grows, right? So like we have a two set standard at the moment, or at least we will once Brothers War comes out. Um, or like a, a five, it'll be this is the sixth set, right? By the time you have eight, it's a lot easier to build mana bases that have a lot of non basics in them. So, I think that this card gets better the closer we get to the next rotation, and then it'll get worse again. Um, I think that in a format where that exists, obviously, this is just a better scrap heap scrounger, it has one less, one less toughness, but you don't have to exile a creature card from your graveyard to, to activate the ability. I'm a pretty big fan of this card, I, I really want to see what it can do. Like, the, the fact that it's an artifact creature is good because you have a lot of artifact creature synergies, and it's the fact that it's a zombie is also good because because we do have the uh, the champion, the the black one-drop zombie champion. Yep. What's the card called again? Champion of the Parished. Champion <laughs> yeah, of the thank Parished. you, yep. my, my card name specialist. You. <laughs> thank you so much. Uh, champion of the Parish is still in standard, by the way. Can you believe it? Um, I can't actually. That's surprising. <laughs> yeah, uh, but no one plays it because there's not not a lot of good zombies. But does this make a zombie deck better? It makes it better, obviously. Um, I don't think it makes it good. I mean, it's a pretty good freaking zombie, though. Yeah, just not in standard. There's there's still not enough support. This this will not by itself, you know, put the team on his back though and make zombies playable. I'll play it. I'll show you. Okay. Okay. Moving on to the next one. It's a green card with unearth. It's a perennial behemoth. Five mana, two seven. Excuse me. Five mana, two seven. Artifact creature beast. Okay, this goes in our bird beast deck now. You may Great. play lands. Great. You may play lands from your graveyard. Okay. I mean, we already have like soul of wind grace in standard, but sure. It has unearth for double green. So two mana, two seven. If it hits your graveyard, to bring it back. Return to the battlefield, it gains haste, exile it? Like, why are you ever wanting to give your perennial behemoth haste as a two-power creature? Uh, I guess you can play another land from your graveyard? Let's freaking go? Like, why is this a rare? I don't know. It has seven toughness, I guess. How do you how do you evaluate this I, card? Um, The way I read this card is there is some busted Crucible of Worlds combo in some older format where you could just go infinite with like Fields of Ruin and Stone Rain your opponent to death um, while keeping this in play for a turn. Um, I don't really know why you would ever unearth this card in any other context unless it did something bonkers on the turn it came into play. So that's the only thing I can think of. Yeah, I can't think of anything actually. That's way more than I would have thought of. <laughs> All right, that, that's probably not playable. All right, moving on to Steel Seraph. It's a six mana, five, four flyer with prototype for one white, white, just like Adeline. It's a three, three. At the beginning of combat on your turn, target creature you control gains your choice of flying, vigilance, or lifelink until end of turn. This card, I think, is one of the best prototype cards in all of the prototype cards. Uh, I have gotten hit by a humongous flyer that should never be a flyer because this card was on the board. Um, it's also an artifact creature. It also has flying itself, so you can make something else flying, so you can get in for a lot of damage. And, um, I think it just has a lot of synergies in standard with the artifact creatures and, uh, the prototype and being white and being a 3-3 as it is for three. I think, I, I think there's a lot of applications you can do with this. Flying, Vigilance, and Lifelink are three really relevant keywords. Yep. I think it's a very, very good card. 
Uh, I think it'll definitely see play in the mono white aggro decks. It's also like randomly an angel as well. Yeah, I didn't even notice um, that until right so, now. Yeah, so like I, th I think that also plays well in the uh, angels archetypes where they exist. All right, moving on to Simeon Simulacrum. It's a three mana two one. It's an artifact creature ape. Why is this? I guess monkeys are different from apes. So shout out to Watsi for d distinguishing between apes and monkeys. When Simeon Simulacrum enters the battlefield, put two plus one plus one counters on target creature you control. As unearth for two green green, so you can put two plus one plus one counters on your on target creature. So not on multiple creatures, just one. Then you can unearth it again as a two one, uh, two one haste. And then you can put counters on itself and get in for damage. So, I mean, it's a rare, it's three mana. But a three mana two one, that you can put two one one counters on itself, because it doesn't say another creature, which means it technically is like a three mana four three on rate, and three mana four threes have been pretty good. Look at Bone Crusher Giant, but this is no Bone Crusher Giant. How do you evaluate Simeon Simulacrum? It's a good, solid, above rate card, obviously. You're pack one pick wanting this in limited almost every time. Um, I just don't feel like it makes the cut at uh, th at the three drop slot for uh, for like the mono green deck, which is where you would probably want it if you're going to use the unearth ability. Um, I think there's just a lot better three drops in the aggressive green based decks um, than this card. Yeah, the three drop slot's super clogged. <laughs> you you have just a bunch of cards that you can play that are all better than this. All right, yeah. moving on to Teresian Mindbreaker. It's a seven mana artifact creature juggernaut. It's a six four. Whenever Teresian Mindbreaker attacks, defending player mills half their library around it up. Whenever it attacks, it also has unearth for one and triple blue. So take it out of your graveyard for one and triple blue, attack with it because it gains haste because it has unearth and then just mill half your opponent's library. The one problem I have with mill in standard right now is that everything in standard, all the powerful cards at least have mill half their library. So all yeah. the powerful cards just say mill half. If all of them say mill half and your opponent's at four cards left in library, you're going to mill them two cards and never kill them. So I mean, how do you evaluate a card like this? Yeah, you've got the Xeno's Paradox problem where the more often you do it, the less effective it becomes. Exactly. Um, and also, you're, if you're casting this for seven, then they've probably already gone through a pretty good chunk of their deck, so this card is not as inspiring as uh, it might otherwise have been. Um, I don't think this card has a home. Anywhere. <laughs> I mean, I was trying to build a Grixis mill deck with Lord Xander, and uh, I that mills your opponent's library half as well. There's also a card called... I don't know card names, but it, <laughs> but it's a six-mana card from New Capenna, and it has uh, uh, Casualty, and you can mill your opponent half your opponent's library, and then Casualty to mill half more of their library, but you're just never going to kill them because you keep milling half. Yeah, I don't even I don't know the name of that. Cut one. your losses. Uh, there we go. My brain is working. Sure, I'll take your word for it. <laughs> yeah. So uh, yeah, keep milling your opponent in half. See how that goes. I guess it only works if your opponent has exactly like zero or one card left in their library, then they lose. Yeah. Cool. Great. <laughs> All right. Moving on to a spider. Thran spider is a rare. I always like rare spiders because like all the rares, all the spiders that are like in limited are like five mana three four or five mana three five reach, and that's it. So I always like the additional abilities that spiders have if they're rare. Three mana, two, four, reach. When Thran Spider enters the battlefield, you and target opponent each create a tapped power stone token. All right, let's freaking go. Um, you can pay sure. seven mana to look at the top four cards of your library. You may reveal an artifact card from among them and put it into your hand. Put the rest on the bottom of your library in a random order. So it helps pay for its own ability, but it's seven mana. Uh, that's like, that's like Screams Limited, right? 
Yep. Um, obviously, you want to put this in a deck where you're using Power Stones tokens to their fullest, and it's just not clear yet what that looks like. Um, I I really think that you can probably do better for 10 total mana than an impulse for, <laughs> uh, for an artifact. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, but you do you. Right. I mean, it doesn't say sorcery speed, so let's get that instant speed impulse seven mana going. Let's go. Great. <laughs> All right. Let's move on to the card that breaks the entire game of Pioneer. <laughs> the Stone Brain. Mm. Mm. I'm, uh, yeah, I think I just, uh, all right, podcast is over. See ya. All right, anyway, the Stone Brain, two mana, legendary artifact. It's a rare. Two mana and tap it. Exile the Stone Brain. Of course it exiles. Why wouldn't it? Choose a card name. Search target opponent's graveyard, hand, and library for up to four cards with that name and exile them. That player shuffles, then draws a card for each card exiled from their hand this way. Activate only as a sorcery. I think I just threw up in my mouth. Um, go ahead, talk about this card, because I don't want to. Sure. Um, so you and I tend to disagree about just how good this effect can be. I think this effect is generally pretty bad, the Unmoored Ego, Necromentia kind of thing, um, because it's just straight card disadvantage. That said, this is probably the best such effect we've seen. Um, you can actually hit basic lands with this effect if you want as well. Um, so you can try to mill out your opponent that way. It's a win con if you can repeat it over and over again. And that means that I think it's basically only playable either in like really old formats where Surgical Extraction sees play, like maybe Legacy wants this card somewhere. I'm not an expert in that format. Or if you have Karn the Great Creator. Stop me if you've heard that before. Karn All right, stop. can fetch... <laughs> Okay, great, you got it. Uh, Karin fetches this this card, you play it for two, you tap it for two, you recur it with Karin on the following turn, uh, and you just keep exiling whatever card your opponent uh, might be able to use to get back into the game from there. Um, no, um, I need to tell you one thing about this card, okay, Airball? What's that? You can what's use that? this multiple times a turn, like so many times per turn, with Mono Green, Devotion, and Pioneer. You use this, you tap it, yeah. you exile it, you get it back in the same turn. You have you have like the um the chain veil on, and then you do it again, and then you untap your Nykthos, and you use a bunch of mana, and then you get it back, and then you do it again. So like you just kill you just kill them, and they're just dead. They have no deck, right? Sure. I mean that's that's true, but that's kind of like you're already totally winning in Pioneer if you're in that spot with the chain veil and stuff, uh, just because you already have um, the pestilent cauldron, which also well, I'm, I'm, well I mean you don't need the cauldron anymore. You just play this. Yeah, this is like marginally better, but you're, you're still totally winning if you reach the point where you have the Chain Veil and the Cure and the Nykthos, right? So this is this doesn't really make it any better. It just makes it a little faster. So the question is, like, how much better is it in the situation where you don't have that total, that that complete setup? Uh, better than the Cauldron. When you don't have the complete setup, it's better than the Cauldron. And it means you don't have to yes. play the Cauldron, which means you open up your sideboard slot to, more, to another card. Yeah, but you do have to play this. Well, so. right. But it's just a better card than Cauldron anyway. You don't have to play the random yes. over overgrown tomb anymore. Yes. So like that, that just that it, it literally makes Mono Green strictly better, if not like just a little tad better. It's just still strictly better, right? Yes. Um I, I think like it's not enough like as a win con with Nykthos and whatever. I, I think like it matters a lot how how good this is in situations where the game is like even and you haven't even assembled most of your combo yet. That's true. All right. There's not much more to say about that card. Let's move on to the next one, Transmigrant's Crown. Two mana artifact equipment, equipped creature gets plus two plus oh. Whenever a equipped creature dies, draw a card. Equip two colorless mana or one black mana. 
this is a card that I was, we were in Magic 30, and we were going yeah. over the people that created this card, and they were like, this is exactly Skullclamp before it was made Skullclamp. They're like, let me make Skullclamp a little bit worse, because we think we need to nerf it, and let's put minus one on the toughness. <laughs> and that yeah. just made it infinitely better. So this was actually Skullclamp before it was the Skullclamp we know today. So how do you evaluate yeah, Transmigrant's I Crown? I heard people call it dull clamp. Yeah, yeah, it, dull clamp. Summit. And <laughs> I think that's pretty much exactly what it is. It's it's uh, skull clamp at home, uh, and it's it's way way worse. <laughs> yeah, you have to actually like have a sacrifice outlet with Transmissions Crown for it to be like on par with skull clamp, but it draws you one card instead of two. Is there an application in like a constructed deck that you see this? Mm, like Rakdos sacrifice no. or something? Like maybe it's still not. I don't think it makes the cut even there. Yeah, I don't um, know. Maybe Racto Sacrifice with Karn yeah. in it. I don't know. <laughs> to get this out of the board. Great. Sure. <laughs> uh, I, guess, I guess you can strap it onto something for one black and then sacrifice it with Witch's Oven and draw a card. But I, mean, I guess you're already drawing cards with Corvold anyway, so what does it matter? I yeah, don't know. Like, the Racto Sac deck does not really have a problem with card advantage. Uh, and there are better ways to do it than this. Yeah, for sure. All right, let's move on, move on to the, the uh, cards that make up the meld. Phyrexian Dragon Engine and Mightstone and Weakstone. And these will be the last artifacts that we cover before we get to the lands, which will take about two seconds. All right, Phyrexian Dragon Engine is a three-mana 2-2 two -two artifact creature Phyrexian Dragon. This is the Mishra part of it. Double Strike. When Phyrexian Dragon Engine enters the battlefield from your graveyard, you may discard your hand. If you do, draw three cards. It has Unearth for five, three and double red. This is the main reason why I think this is so easy to meld. Because you can discard this card with a blood token from Blood Tide Harvest or Fable the Mirror Breaker, discard this card, and then cast your Mishra on turn four, and then turn five, just bring, just hit your untap land drop and bring this back out of the graveyard, and voila, you have a melded a Mishra into winning the game with the 9-9. Nine -nine. Yeah, I like it. Um, it does have a graveyard trespasser problem, so you have to make sure it actually stays in your graveyard for that uh, for that amount of time and right. you have to make sure it does get to attack so it's still you know a five mana hasty two two until you get to attack with it um but i i, I do like this card i i think that it'll be fairly fairly easy to flip uh to meld it with uh, mishra um this also gives me like what's it called ox of Aganis vibes to where like you have zero cards in, you have zero cards in your hand you bring this back out of your graveyard drop to three you know it's like a refill your yeah. hand type card, and it, and that's a very good card to have. It's also a three mana two two double striker, which is also not the worst card in the world because you actively want to block with this to put it in the graveyard to unearth it again. So you get a really good trade out of it. People are not playing graveyard trespasser as much anymore because they're playing Phyrexian flesh gorger instead, the three mana uh, three three mana slife linker. So they're going away from graveyard trespasser for some reason, which opens the door for this Phyrexian dragon engine. All right, moving on to the Mightstone and Weakstone. This is a five-mana legendary artifact power stone, but if you remember we, back when we talked about Urza, it makes your artifacts cost one less, so you can go Urza into turn four, Mightstone and Weakstone. This, when it enters the battlefield, choose one. Draw two cards, or target creature gets minus five, minus five until end of turn, and then you can tap it to add two colorless mana, and you can only... It can't be spent to cast down artifact spells, so it's basically a power... It's, it's a power stone. So you can use this to kill a Shieldred, and then use it to um, play your untapped land on the following turn to meld the Urza. So you could turn three Urza, turn four, Mightstone Weakstone, turn five, untapped land, meld Urza. It should be that easy, but as you said before, probably not that easy. But it does draw two cards and does kill Shieldred. 
Yeah. Uh, five mana kill shieldred is probably not where you want to be, even if it leaves a mana rock in play. Uh, drawing two cards means it can never really be too bad, but it's it's a mana accelerant that comes down on turn five. Um, so you really need to have the nut draw with Urza into this and then meld on the following turn and just pray that your opponent never interacts with it. This card is not inspiring to me. All right. Uh, we will see. I have gotten my shieldred killed with my son of stone. Didn't feel very good. But anyway, moving on to the lands. Number one, we'll talk about Fortified Beachhead, which is the best one out of all of them. It is the Soldier Land, as it's a blue-white land that comes in untapped. So this is a Hallowed Fountain that you don't have to pay too life for. As Fortified Beachhead enters the battlefield, you may reveal a Soldier card from your hand. Fortified Beachhead enters the battlefield tapped unless you reveal a Soldier card this way, or you control a Soldier, which is always newsflash. Um, you can tap it to add blue or white. You can pay five mana and tap it to have soldiers you control get plus one, plus one till end of turn. So not only is it a actual dual land, <laughs> um, but you can also buff your team with it. Like, what were they thinking <laughs> with this land? Yeah, this card, this card is very good. Um, it's basically never going to come in untapped. It's never going to come in tapped early because you would never keep a hand that didn't have a soldier in it. So it's going to be uh, an untapped dual land in the early turns of the game, which is exactly what the aggro decks need. So this is, this is literal Tundra. It's not literal tundra. Um, like, like, like in standard, like you're never going to have a hand without a soldier for playing soldiers. So it is tundra, like with upside. It, yeah, I mean, if you're playing like literal soldier tribal and you don't have any important creatures in uh, in your deck that are not soldiers, I, I think there'll probably be some corner cases where this land will not come in untapped and it will make you unhappy. But otherwise, you're right. Like the card is very good. All right, moving on to the next one, Hollow of Tagzin. It's a colorless land. It adds colorless mana. You can pay one and tap it to add a mana of any color. So it's a filter land for like one extra, I guess. And you can pay four and tap it to make a tapped power zone token. <laughs> I mean, it's, this is a rare land. I mean, at least it doesn't come in tasked like lands I've seen in the past. Yeah, the card sucks. Yeah, like, whatever. <laughs> it's, it's for limited. It's, it's fixing. Yeah, it's... All right. <laughs> moving on to the next one, Blast Zone. It's a reprint. This is a cool art of Blast Zone if you're watching this from YouTube. Blast Zone enters the battlefield with a charge counter on it. Tap to add colorless mana. You can pay XX and tap it to put X charge counters on Blast Zone. You can pay three mana and tap it to sacrifice Blast Zone. Destroy each non-land permanent with mana value equal to the number of charge counters on Blast Zone. So here we play that playing this in an artifact-based deck or a deck that can handle playing a colorless land. And then you are going to try to destroy your opponent's cards with it. Um, for the people that have not dealt um, played with or, or against Blast Zone, Talk to him about it a little bit. Yeah, I mean, Blast Zone is an important uh, removal spell. Uh, it's a land-based removal that is not easily countered by any of the spells in the format. Uh, it's flexible. You can um, you can control this like the CMC of the cards that uh, will get destroyed by it. And when you have Power Stones or like other mana accelerants, like it used to see play with Wilderness Reclamation back when Nexus of Fate was a thing. Um, it, you can uh, you can arrange Blast Zone so that it destroys uh, mo mostly your opponent's permanents and not your own. And um, it's also just a board wipe. It gets around things like Ward. It gets around things like um, like counter spells. It's it's a solid utility land that I'm excited is back. All right, yeah, very very good card. Uh, next up, before we just get out of here, we have two we have two more lands to talk about that are not just the dual lands. Argos Sanctum of Nature. 
Uh, it enters the battlefield tapped unless you control legendary green creature, which like maybe never, like maybe maybe you'll get it in uh, untapped at some point. It taps to add green mana, and you can pay two and two green for four mana. Tap it, make a two two green bear creature token, then mill three cards. Only activate only as a sorcery, and it does. This is the land that melds with Titania, Voice of Gaia. If you if you don't know about that one, listen to our previous podcast where we go over all of the monocolored cards, and Titania is one of them. So we won't spend too much time talking about that, but this does make bears and it does meld. What do you think about this card, Argoth, Sanctum of Nature? It's a sad card that you sigh and play if you need it for Titania to flip. Like if Titania ends up being good, then you play this card begrudgingly. But otherwise, it's just a much, much worse forest. I don't I mean, think the, uh, the tap ability is ever going to happen. I mean, you do, you do you, like, you don't have to sacrifice this card to make the bear, so you can just like, keep doing it every turn and milling three. And milling three with Titania, like, Titania wants to have lands in the graveyard, so, I mean, it just keeps doing it. And as a land that keeps making tutus, I think it's pretty strong, but it, it is going to make you very sad when it comes in tapped, and it's almost always going to come in tapped. All right, moving on to a land that is similar to, I guess... What, what's the 2-2 that has all creature types? Once again, I'm forgetting a very iconic card. Mutavault. Mutavault? Thank you. Yeah. I remembered it. Okay, you got to give that to me. Uh, kind of like Mutavault, Mishra's Foundry. It's uh, You're not going to give it to me? Okay, I remembered it. No. Uh, you can tap it to add colorless mana. And then you can pay two mana to have Mishra's Foundry become a 2-2 assembly worker artifact creature until end of turn. It's still a land. And you can pay one and tap it to have target attacking assembly worker get plus two, plus two till end of turn. So this is, if you don't know what Blink Moth Nexus is, I actually remembered the card. Blink Moth Nexus is very similar to this. It's a 1-1 flyer and also can make your other Blink Moth Nexuses powered up by plus one plus one. This one is very similar to Mutavault in that it's a 2-2. It does cost one extra mana to use this, but it is a very powerful land. It's also an artifact. So, I mean, are you going to be playing Vicious Foundry? It's like, it's a very good land to play in just any monocolor deck. So I can see this being played as like a three or four of in every monocolored aggro deck. It's like weird because you can't attack with it and tap it to pump at this on the same turn. So you you need multiple assembly workers attacking I mean, for this to uh, I mean, yeah, for yeah. the second ability to matter. But um, uh, you know, it's, it's a creature lands in a format that doesn't have any. Like it, it's gonna see play. Yeah, for sure. I think it's uh, very valuable to have in standard. All right, moving on. We're gonna talk about the last lands, and we completed the set of dual lands of the pain lands. We have brushland, green white. We have underground river blue black to play your mopey blue black control deck we have lanoir wastes as a black green land and a battlefield forge as a uh, red white land we've needed these it it made mana bases much better and now you can basically play whatever pain lands you want in your three color or two two color decks there's not much to talk about about these but the fact that you no longer have to play certain colors because they lack the pain lands yeah i i I think actually the only one of these lands that I'm excited to see is Battlefield Forge. Um, I think that there is probably a very exciting Boros aggro deck that has just been held down by like crappy mana for the last several sets in standard. And finally, you have an untapped duel that comes uh, that comes down early in the game, and you can start playing whatever one drop red creature, one drop white creature you have in your opening hand. It'll make that those decks way more consistent, and I think it's a big boon to aggro in the format. Right, I agree. All right, that concludes the episode. I hope you liked all of the Brothers War set reviews and the second part of it. If you didn't finish the first part, go ahead and look it up. But thank you so much to everyone for listening, and especially to those who made it this far. Make sure to give us a follow to see our next episode. Subscribe if you're watching on YouTube. Follow us on Twitter, at Nuts and Bolts Pod, and we will see you in the top eight.